Hello, my fellow geoscience aficionados. You're listening to Nice Chats from the Geology Podcast Network. I'm Dr. B, and in each episode, I will interview an expert in various areas in geoscience and share with you a little bit of their knowledge and expertise in the research of natural problems. Each of our episodes has a central theme, and since we will have an expert walk us through the various subjects, you don't need to worry about having any previous knowledge of what we will be talking about. As long as you're passionate about the study of geosciences, I, with the help of our guests, will take care of feeding you all the information you need in a casual and fun environment. Today, I am interviewing PhD candidate Daniel Brennan, a mate of mine from Curtin University in Australia. I want to talk to Dan about his experience with geological mapping. Hopefully, he has some cool stories for us about camping under the stars while looking at awesome rocks. Let's find out. Hey, Dan. Welcome to Nice Chats. Hey, Vitor. Thanks for having me. So I was curious, um, how far along are you in the PhD path? Uh, are you almost done? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's nearing the end for me. I'm a little over three years in. I have about six months remaining on my scholarship, but I'm kind of, uh, kind of wrapping it up. So it's been quite the journey, but looking forward to the next step. So um, you could say, though, that you are in the red zone as far as getting your degree, right? Oh, I like that uh, football analogy you worked in there, or gridiron, yes. gridiron as they call that in uh, Australia. <laughs> so that's that's good that you like this analogy, because today I want to start our interview with a little game that has everything to do with sports analogies. So for those of you who don't know it, besides being a great researcher, Dan is also a former college American football player one of the best tight ends in the game. And he dips his toes also into several other sports, right, Dan? Uh, I, I would disagree with that best part of uh, uh, second string Division three uh, collegiate football player is what I was. But uh, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. And I definitely think a lot of the kind of the skills you learn through athletics can be applied to science and academics as well. That's great. So... Today, we're going to be playing a game called Mind Spiliology. Basically, I'm going to map what goes on inside of your head. Consider it a free therapy session and don't be scared. I am a doctor. It says so on my Twitter handle. So this is a simple word association game. I'm going to say a word. And then you have to tell me the first geology or geoscience-related thing that comes into your mind. For example, if I say podcast, first thing that comes into your mind, nice chats, obviously. Okay. But, but this is the twist. Because you are you know, a sports dude, these will all be sports terms that you need to somehow associate with the geoscience thing. Okay? Okay. <laughs> Try to think of, try to say like, you know, the first thing that pops into your head. But I mean, if, you, if you're struggling a little bit, it's okay to take your time okay. as well. Do I lose points if I have to, you know, put in a long explanation to justify how the geology no, term relates? <laughs> of course not. There are no points. You're only winners. Okay. Everyone in this show is an MVP. 
face. <laughs> All right. But, um, yeah. So ready? Yeah. Ready, coach. So, okay. Let's get started. First is pigskin. Pigskin. Okay. So pigskin, I would say, is, is a slang term for uh, football uh, and American football. How would that relate to geology? Oh man, pig skin. I'm actually thinking of uh, this uh, kind of biofilm fossil that I saw in some neoproterozoic rocks called Kaneia. And it's kind of mm -hmm. this like wrinkly film that kind of forms in mudstones. And it's basically like an algae biofilm that kind of grabs the mud and then it gets kind of wrinkled. Mm -hmm. And it actually looks kind of similar to the brown kind of wrinkled leather that uh that you have on your uh football or pigskin so that's what i would say can yeah that's a great answer so for me i just thought about uh hummocky uh structures because they kind of like have the shape of the football okay you know? yeah. yeah yeah okay all right second one is puck puck Okay. Yeah. So, uh, well, the puck is the little round black disc that you use in ice hockey. Mm -hmm. uh, now, can I relate that to a geology term? Uh, what pops into my head actually is a hand lens, because uh, a hand lens is a little magnifying glass that uh, us geologists often use to look at rocks in the field. And at least my sp specific hand lens I have is also. Kind of a round black plastic disc but instead of being solid rubber it has the uh the magnifying glass in the middle obviously so yeah i would say hand lens okay for me i would say metamorphic geology and this is why then i'm always lost when it comes to metamorphic geology I have no idea, you know, where to look at what uh, what is going on. I'm completely lost, and that's exactly how I feel trying to follow the puck around in a hockey game. Mm -hmm. I never know where the puck is, so I'm just as lost in a hockey game as I am when I'm trying to do some metamorphic yeah. geology. Well, it's a good thing you have uh, <laughs> Sylvia in your life then to help you out with your metamorphic geology. Yeah, I, I uh, subsidize everything, all the work to her. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have uh, three more to go. Um, Friday Night Lights. Okay, so Friday Night Lights is, again, an American football or gridiron term, and it's basically the idea of when you're in high school. Uh, the football games are always played on Friday nights under the lights, so it's kind of a iconic uh, American cultural thing, I guess, is the high school football games on Friday nights. Uh, and I would probably equate that to giving a talk at a, at a science conference or giving a talk at a geology conference. Cause it's kind of the, the showtime you're up there on the stage and everyone's looking at you and the pressure's on. Um, mm -hmm. but it can be pretty fun and pretty, you know, rewarding. So that's, that's the connection I would make. Yeah. I see then this is where it becomes, uh, evident to our listeners, how different you and I actually are, because you thought about it from the perspective of an athlete. While me, I've always been a spectator. So for me, Friday Night Lights is like the the icebreaker at a conference, you know, where you get to hang out with your friends and have a drink. <laughs> Sit in the stands and eat the popcorn. Yeah, that's it. 
um, MRAP. <laughs> so and now we're getting into CrossFit terms. So AMRAP is, is what A M R A P, as many reps as possible. Uh, and so in the workout, I guess some workouts they call them AMRAPs because you try to do as many reps of of the movement as possible. So to relate that to a geology term, well, I, what popped into my head actually was uh, some of my work where I've done where I, we actually dated some detrital minerals so dated some sand grains within sandstones and we had a little bit of the philosophy is let's try to analyze as many mineral grains as possible so that's kind of similar to the let's get as many uh, reps of this workout in as possible yeah i got that statistical uh, representativity very nice i i actually thought about something similar uh when i was uh when i was over there at curtain i used to do night shifts for the shrimp and the, the philosophy was always get as many spots in as you can as well to really, you know, optimize the time and the instrument. So, yeah, pretty similar. Uh, finally, home run. Okay, so home run is a baseball term. And it's when, uh, when the batter hits the ball out of the park or over the fence. Um, and I would say a home run in geology is probably when you get your paper accepted and you get the reviews back and the reviewers loved your work. You know, you can pump your fist and it feels like you just hit a home run. So that's the analogy I would make. That's a great one. Well, I think that Dan scored a touchdown on this game. He is for sure going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame of Nice Chats interviewees. But let's quit playing around and let's go get to the part that we are all waiting for. The main event of today's card, geological mapping. But before you do so, uh, hit the follow button wherever you are listening to this episode of Nice Chats so that you get a notification every time that a new episode is released. If you have ideas for future episodes or guests, please write to our email nicechats at gmail.com. Also, please subscribe to Nice Chats and give us a five-star review if you like the show. So then let's start from the basics. What is geological mapping? Okay, so geological mapping is basically, I guess I would start with it explaining what a geological map is and it's similar to you know usually you have just a regular map or any sort of map that people are familiar with is kind of a base map and then on top of that map you actually show all the different geological units and the different structures so oftentimes you have different colors that define you know the different lithologies and the different rock types and then you have a bunch of different symbols that describe the different structures the faults or the folds uh, that these rocks, you know, exhibit, and it's often associated with, I would say, you know, descriptions of the rock units, as well as sometimes cross sections, which kind of show uh, the geometry and structure of the rocks beneath the ground. Um, and then that all kind of ties in together where it basically explains the, you know, the type of rocks, as well as the basically geologic history of the area. Um, that the geologic map consists of. 
And why is it important for us to produce geological maps? I think basically any sort of earth science study that involves fieldwork or collecting rock samples um, basically starts with a geologic map. So you need to know what rock units you're sampling and their relationship to all the other rock units, you know, in the, in the region to kind of know the context and why that is important. So that's why I think geologic mapping is quite important for, from a research perspective, um, because it gives you that information about the specific samples that you might be taking back to the lab to work on. And it's also important, I'd say, and kind of more of a societal importance because geologic mapping can be used to assess a bunch of different uh, hazards, you know, like landslides, um, maybe even earthquakes where there's active faults, uh, floodplains, things like that. Those are all things that kind of can kind of be incorporated into, into a geologic map. Um, so, yeah, I think it's they're basically the foundation of most, you know, field based research. So you need a solid foundation to kind of have the rest of the research um, build off of. So I think they're, you know, it's kind of a critical foundation. Yeah, I would complement your answer with the cultural aspect, because I have here uh, on my wall, you, you listener can't see it, but I have on my wall a geological map of Western Australia. And I'll tell you what, like, it looks just as nice as if I had a Monet hanging up here. So there is also, you know, the the visual nice aspect of the decorative geological map, which most geologists will have in their office or house. Uh, I agree. There's definitely an, an aesthetic value to a nice geologic map. I actually have, I should, I'll, I'll shamelessly plug my hometown right here. I have a geologic map in my background. Yes, they can be quite, quite beautiful to look at. Yeah. A bit inspirational too. Um, so, okay, what are the steps that go into making a geologic map? Okay, well, it can be quite a, quite a lengthy process. So I'll try to break it down, I guess, into kind of just the main steps. So probably the first step you have to do is getting prepared for the field work. Um, and I think we'll maybe go into that a little bit later, but you got to know where you're going to go. Uh, get, you know, maps of that area, non-geologic maps of the area. So I've often used topographic maps. Sometimes you can get aerial imagery that can help. Um, and then you kind of need to look and understand what work has been done and why is it worth going and spending, you know, all these weeks camping outside uh, to geologic map this area. And once you get all that done and you've decided where you're going to go and you're ready to go, uh, then you kind of get into the actual geologic mapping. And those steps are probably uh, actually just, just did a little geologic mapping with some undergrads here in Australia. So I can run through kind of what we did. But one of the first steps is you got to figure out how many different rock units you have in your area and how many different, you know, how you're going to break up your different geological, uh, geological units um, and then describe those different units. And once you've, you know, determine the different units, you need to determine the relationship. So kind of the contacts between them uh, are once cross-cutting each other, the different layers. And then you kind of go into using your geological field compass to start taking some measurements of maybe the attitudes or faults or folds um, of the geological units. And you're putting those all down 
on kind of that base map you have as you're kind of generating and creating your geologic map. And at that point, and that can take a while, you can do that depending upon how big your area is, you could do that for years if you wanted. <laughs> uh, and at that point, you'd be, once you finish that, you'd have a pretty good looking field geologic map, hopefully. Cool. Um, right. I think you mentioned like a little bit of, uh, of uh, what I'm about to ask you, but you know, would be nice to get some more details because obviously the map is a two-dimensional surface, right? It's a representation of what that surface that you, you are looking into is. But as uh, geologists, we are interested also in what's happening, you know, below the surface level. So how do you map that and how do you present this information in a map? Yeah, so oftentimes uh, key... Uh, important thing that's included with geologic maps or something that we call a cross section. And if you're not familiar, a cross section is basically just like cutting out a slice of the earth and then picking it up and looking at it from the side. So we're basically creating a model of how the different rock units that we see on the surface, how those relate beneath, uh, beneath the ground. And so this is kind of where uh, interpretation comes in. And different geologists probably would have slightly different looking cross sections. But um, so basically, they're quite important because oftentimes they guide, for example, if you're going to go in and you're going to drill, um, maybe you're going to drill to try to find certain, you know, a mineralized horizons or something like that. The cross section is going to be a model that might suggest to you where would be the best location to drill and how deep you might have to go. And then once you, you know, you have that data point, you can then go back and redefine your cross section and make more accurate, uh, basically subsurface geologic, geological models. And I could think also of like seismic profiles as something that could be helpful as well, getting that three-dimensional uh, uh, information and, and things like that. So, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I really like when... Um, Obviously, geological mapping in itself gives you a lot of information already. But then when you come in with these additional steps, it makes it even more uh, kind of interesting and complete, uh, which is very useful for us geoscientists. So Dan, you, you mentioned a little bit of the steps in preparing for, you know, for the field work for a mapping campaign. But uh, can you give us a little bit more detail on that. What do you do exactly? Yeah, definitely. So I think uh, it's probably, you know, differs based on what uh, your specific mapping project is hoping to be. So I can talk about, you know, in my experience, uh, I did a couple, you know, I did a 10 week geologic mapping uh, project a couple times. And so that's pretty long, you know, it's most of the summer. And to kind of prepare for that, uh, as I mentioned, you got to get up to date and find out basically all the existing work that's been done in the area and kind of what are the issues with that and where should you focus and target your field work when you get back out there. Uh, and once you kind of prepare for the, the science aspect of that, then there's actually just a lot of preparation that is quite similar to preparing for a camping trip. So you got to make sure you got all your water, uh, your food, your sunscreen. Um, and you know, you're all ready to basically spend a significant portion of, of time, uh, 
you know, outdoors and often kind of far away um, from where there might be amenities and, you know, a grocery store and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'd say preparation, at least in my experience for geologic mapping campaign is kind of two parts. You got to prepare for the science aspect then you got to prepare for the outdoor kind of camping aspect. And they're both very important because it's hard to do the science if you're really uncomfortable. Uh, and then of course it doesn't matter if you're really comfortable camping, if you don't know the science problem that you're out there to solve. So I'd say they're both pretty uh, important. Uh, and you also have to write it, write letters to companies that produce outdoor products, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe, yes, I was not very successful in that. So when I did a little bit of field mapping, I had this little strategy where I thought I'd, uh, thought I'd get Patagonia and North Face to give me free, uh, free camping gear to test out for them. Uh, and so I wrote letters to a couple of them and unfortunately I did not get, uh, did not get any Patagonia sponsorship. Maybe, maybe uh, next time you can map the face of like, you know, um, El Cap in Yosemite without using any climbing gear and that will get North Face to sponsor you. Yeah, that, that would be pretty tough. Uh. <laughs> so that's basically a mix between Dan's work and the, the movie Free Solo that follows this um, uh, climber that doesn't use ropes to, to climb through these huge mountains. Man, I really, really like that movie. If you haven't seen it yet, like... Go watch it. Honestly, it's amazing and beautiful, beautiful images of the earth, which I think all of our listeners would appreciate. Um, right. So you're in the field. You're ready to start your mapping day. How does a day of mapping look like? Yeah. So again, I think it, I think it can be pretty variable based on you know your specific uh, kind of work habits, and actually. Maybe it's a cliche saying, but, you know, as someone, as a geologist who enjoys fieldwork, he would say, you know, a bad day mapping is better than a good day in the office. Uh, and usually, honestly, it can be interesting because it can be a little stressful because you're trying to figure out these, you know, geologic problems. But usually a day of mapping is super flexible. You know, I mean, usually, at least in my experience, I've been camping. You wake up, you can make some eggs, have a little brekkie. And then you just start hiking and you have to figure out, you know, what rock outcrops you want to go to. Maybe you plan kind of a traverse or a goal of uh, where you're going to walk today and what rocks you're going to look at. I tend to kind of plan my traverses around where I think I can stop for a really nice lunch spot with a good view. Uh, and then also, I mean, kind of like a lot of science, it helps to be flexible and like have a plan, but also adapt because sometimes you'll find something unexpected in the field like you'll, maybe you'll come across a new rock unit that you didn't find before and then it'll totally change your plans for the rest of the day um and yeah so i mean it's a lot of uh i would say intentional hiking uh you're hiking from one rock outcrop to the to the next one taking measurements writing descriptions um and then yeah making your way back to camp when you're tired uh if you're really tired in the field sometimes you can find a nice uh shady spot where you're going to sit down just for a couple minutes to to rest and end up taking a nice field nap uh but yeah actually i mean most geologic mapping days are super enjoyable to me they're basically 
you know, a large portion of it is hiking around often in the mountains, uh, in cool settings. So then, um, so I, I read this book once called the map that changed the world. And this is a book by Simon Winchester, uh, about this English geologist, William Smith, uh, and how he produced the first geological map of England, Wales, and South Scotland. And it's uh, interesting because in this book, the author describes that this, this uh, William Smith was one of the first geologists to have you know, this boots on the ground approach to mapping. And that actually before that, uh, geologists would usually sit in their offices and have field assistants just bring them samples that they found around in the field from different localities. In your opinion, how did geological mapping evolve from these first, you know, strategies up to what, what, you, what you do now? I feel like geologic mapping is kind of a great example of one of these things where like there's all these new technological advances that have changed it, but then there's also like the fundamental basis of it uh, will remain unchanged for for forever, probably. So, uh, you know, I think, as you said, the first maps, they basically they went around and they they hiked around and basically labeled the different rock units. And that's, ba that's very similar to what a lot of geologic mapping consists of, you know, even now today. But we have all these te technological tools that we use now. So even, you know, GPSs, uh, I haven't personally used this, but I, I know that some people even use drones and things like that to get better, but better look at the, you know, location and extent of certain geologic units. I used a little bit of remote sensing data in my geologic mapping work. So basically satellite data and to try to, you know, pick out some of the larger structures or faults or folds in my area. Uh, you mentioned earlier seismic, which I, I haven't used much seismic, but, um, you know, those are all kind of ways that geologic mapping, I think, has kind of used technology to basically update and improve and create, you know, more accurate uh, geologic maps and some of those first ones. But I'm kind of a maybe a renaissance uh, man <laughs> that I think nothing, you know, it's hard to beat just, uh, you know, lacing your boots up and walking out there and looking at the rocks. Uh, so I hope at least that that aspect uh you know, will never change even, even with uh, all the new technology that we have. Um, so you, you did some mapping during your PhD as well, right? Yeah. So actually most of my mapping that I did was actually during my master's oh, okay, degree. Sorry. Uh, I did my master's at Idaho State University. And the funding we had for the research was through this, this program in the U.S. called the EDMAP program. And basically... It's a program where, where professors and students apply for research money to basically make a geologic map of a certain region. And there, you, know, you write a proposal and you say why we need to update the geologic mapping of this region. And oftentimes there's already like a coarse scale geologic map and you want to go in and do more detailed look at this area because there might be some discrepancies that you want to solve. Um, so I was pretty lucky at my... My master's supervisor, Dave Pearson, wrote the grant and we got it. So we had funding um, for me to go out and spend about 10 weeks uh, in central Idaho um, doing some, some ge geologic mapping. So that's, that's really what I did for, for my master's was I made a geologic map mm -hmm. 
And through the process of geologic mapping, we actually kind of redefine the stratigraphy or the layers of sedimentary rocks in that area. And then it was pretty cool. We were able to work it into a, a tectonics research paper that talked about kind of the tectonic implications of this, the, you know, this redefined stratigraphy uh, in this region. And then, so for my PhD, um, I didn't have as much time to do as much field work. So I didn't actually get to spend, you know, I like get 10 weeks dedicated to one little uh, postage stamp area in the mountains. Um, I kind of went all around and collected a lot of samples. So in that instance, I was more utilizing the existing geologic maps of previous geologists. And this is kind of something uh, you're, you're, you're kind of taught in as a geologic mapper is that, you know, a lot of geologic maps are, are super, super high quality, but you know, you should always go in there. Uh, it's always good to kind of do a little geologic mapping along the way and kind of test the different units and the different relationships that are, you know, existed on the already published geologic map that you're using. Uh, but, but you did do then field work during the PhD, not, not exactly mapping, but some field work. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I did, I did about five weeks, about half the amount of time of field work in my PhD that I did during, during my master's. Um, and then again, that was mostly usually utilizing the pre-existing geological maps to determine basically where I was and what samples I wanted to mm -hmm. collect. Yeah. And, uh, but you did field work in the Midwest, right? That's the region in the States. Uh, so I did field work in the North Northwest. Northwest. Okay. Which is like, uh, remote ish with a lot of wildlife. How do you stay safe during a mapping campaign? Yeah. So it was, so it's kind of, I guess I would say I was in the, kind of northern rocky mountains area uh so it is it is pretty remote and pretty big mountains and you definitely get to see a, a lot of wildlife so i mean i saw a lot of elk moose mountain goats um i have seen quite a few bears uh never never a wolf never a mountain lion um i've i've heard that you know they kind of they're there but you're very lucky to see them Uh, and then as well as a few snakes, but I actually think, uh, one of the best ways to stay safe when you're out in, in nature and remote locations is to just be prepared. So I was actually pretty lucky before I did my, my field work, I was able to take a wilderness survival and a wilderness first aid course. And so they, they kind of, you know, taught you a couple, uh, you know, tricks or basically strategies to stay safe. Um, when you're out in the mountains. And then I also carried actually uh, some bear spray or basically super strong pepper spray. But I, I don't think, uh, you know, never came close to having to use it or anything. And actually, I, I personally think you're probably safer uh, oftentimes out in the mountains than you'd be in a lot of big cities. Um, So I've heard as well that if you carry a piece of salami or pepperoni in your pocket, that's a good solution against bear attacks. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. I always hear the joke that uh, you want a slow field assistant because you don't have to be the fastest. You just have to not be the slowest. <laughs> so I'm joking, obviously. And this is a, 
a quote from The Office, which features quite heavily in this show. Um, then something that I've always admired about you is that uh, you often produce an article for a local magazine, kind of, you know, explaining what was the result of your work to um, explain that to the people uh, of the area that you have studied. Uh, why do you do that? Uh, so, yeah, I have, I have two of those and I was working on a third and I haven't quite finished it yet, but I was basically kind of inspired. So my first uh, research paper that I ever published was based on the geological mapping I did during my master's and that paper took forever. I submitted it to, to two journals and both times the reviewers were qu quite critical on, on the work. And so it took like probably a year for me to get it published once I was done doing the science. So that was kind of a long and stressful thing. And then it got published in, in a journal called Tetonics and I was super pumped about it. And I shared it, you know, with my friends and family that I had my non-science friends and they didn't appreciate it at all. Uh, they're like, oh, okay. Uh, because it was, it was all, you know, fancy complicated geology words. Right. And I think it's important to tell the story of the scientists behind the science. Uh, so then I actually was like, oh, I'll write a little article for a local uh, outdoor magazine, kind of describing my like, outdoor adventure and a little bit of the science behind it. Uh, and I actually did that because it was we had a little COVID lockdown here in Perth. So I wrote up that little article and they published it in the magazine. And then I you know, shared it with my friends and family and they loved it. I mean, my mom bought like 10 copies and gave it to my grandma and everyone. So. <laughs> So they really enjoyed it. And I think it was because it was, it was relatable. It was something they could, they could understand and it kind of described the geology and, a, the, you know, the story behind the geology. So I was like, oh, this is pretty cool and uh, something worth doing. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like your, your podcast you do here that it's, it's cool to tell the story of the people behind the, the scientists behind the science from time to time. So, yeah, so I've done that twice and I'm hoping to work on a third one. Yeah. I, I wish that more people would uh, do that, you know, so that we could, uh, there, is, there is a big uh, gap between what we do as geoscientists and what the public perceives. And uh, I think that initiatives like that uh, could be very beneficial to, to everyone in science. Yeah, and it's, it's just fun, you know? I mean, it's fun to, to share your story uh, and hopefully people enjoy, enjoy reading it, yeah. Um, for our next segment, we like to always ask the same three questions at the end of every episode. These are our questions which are a bit more personal and they are designed to make each guest a bit more familiar to the listener and allow us to compare experiences and opinions across all the geoscience research fields. And the first question, as always, is how did you first decide to become a geoscientist? It was never my plan, really. You know, if you'd asked me when I was 15, 16, or 17, if I was going to go to university for 10 years and, and get my PhD in geology, I never would have thought that happened. So, I mean, basically, I went to university because that's what people did, and I wanted to play on the football team. So I went there, and I always liked science, and I was always kind of good at it. So I enrolled in science classes first semester, and I was actually kind of thinking about chemistry 
because I had taken chemistry uh, in high school and I quite enjoyed it. And then I think I took like my second level university chemistry lab and it was like two four hour labs uh, at one time. Meanwhile, I was also taking this geology class and the geology class, all the labs were going on field trips outside around the area. Uh, and I was like, oh man, I really like, uh, I never really considered geology as a career, but I, I really kind of like it because I enjoy, you know, working outside and I didn't realize, I guess, how much, uh, different types of science go into geology. So if you're into chemistry, physics, even math, I mean, all those kind of more commonly known subsets of science are all incorporated a lot in, into geology. So then I, yeah, I met with a professor and talked about the different potential careers. And I was like, oh, I think, I think maybe I'll, you know, consider being a studying geology. Then I took another geology class the next semester and I loved it. And that's basically, I, I became hooked on it and I decided on a geology major. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I first decided to become a geologist and, uh, how I decided to keep going to school is I had a, at a mining internship actually towards the mm -hmm. end of my bachelor's degree. And it was, it was, it was a great experience. Um, but basically I was doing field camp at the same time. So I was doing, I did a class where we kind of learned to geologic map, uh, after I had done this mining internship. And I was like, oh, I really enjoy this geological mapping. And so I was like, oh, I'm, I'd love to do more of this if I could. And I met with one of my professors and he's like, oh, you should apply to, you know, these universities out West in the Western US that often do some geological mapping for part of their master's degrees. And then I applied and was accepted and yeah, it just, it worked out. So. <laughs> Great. Um what are some of the specifics of the research that you are conducting at present? Yeah, so it was kind of cool, actually. My, uh, I'll tell a little story to maybe tie it in. So the mapping research that I did for my master's was in the, in the western part of the United States. And I was mapping a package of sedimentary rocks, so sandstones, limestones, and shales. And they were thought to be about 500 million years old. Um, but our mapping showed that they were closer to 650 to 600 million years old. So they were 150 million years older than what they had thought. Uh, and so what that means is those sedimentary rocks were actually deposited during a rifting event or when some other continent that was a, adjacent to ancient North America rifted and broke away about 700 million years ago. And so I actually presented that work at a conference. And that's how, where I met my Australian supervisor. And so some of the, one of the theories is that the continent that rifted away from ancient North America about 700 million years ago might've been uh, Australia. And so that's basically the research question that I've been investigating for my PhD is I collected a bunch of samples from North America, took them back with me to Australia and now I've been analyzing them in the lab, determining their age, some of their isotopic compositions, things like that, uh, their metamorphic history, and trying to determine how these events in North America might correlate to events in basically Eastern Australia, or maybe parts of China, and to kind of try to evaluate or recreate the configuration of these continents about a billion to 700 million years ago. Um, within a supercontinent that we call Rodinia. 
Um, so it's been pretty cool to tie together, you know, my home in North America with, with where I'm living now in Australia. That's cool. Besides writing articles for outdoor magazines, what do you enjoy doing when you are not geosciencing? <laughs> A lot of the things we touched on, actually, I, I, I quite enjoy Vitor and I were, were good friends during the PhD and we, we kind of would always go to CrossFit together. So when I'm not doing, uh, doing my geology studies, I like going to the gym and doing CrossFit. Yeah. So I do that. Uh, I like riding my bike. Yeah. I like reading. I'm not, not very musical, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so I, I think, uh, basically when I'm not doing geology, usually I, I play in a, played in a recreational men's basketball league this last year, playing an indoor soccer team. Uh, so do a bit of sports. So then this is basically the end of our interview. But before I let you go, I'd like to ask you if there is any way our listeners that wish to stay up to date with what you're doing, if there's any way that they can contact you. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, probably the best way to contact me would just be to email me at my uh, my PhD email, which I think you can link in the, in the description at, uh, at Curtin University. And I'd also put a little shameless plug for my master's institution. So where I did my master's is a university called Idaho State University. And they have a, a pretty well known or an awesome field camp. That's about five weeks every summer. And so that's five weeks for undergrad students from all over the country um, can apply. And then they will go join and we have this field camp. We have this big building and we all camp out. Basically it's in the middle of Idaho in the Lost River Valley with big mountains on either side. And basically you spend five weeks learning how to geological, how to make geologic maps. Uh, and it's some of the best geology, I think in North America. And it's awesome because if you drive an hour in any direction and you can get totally different types of rocks and different types of geological mapping experience. And as I said, they, they accept uh, students from all over North America. So if you're interested, you could, you should uh, check out the Idaho state uh, geological field camp. Cool. Um, So what I'll do is I'll put in the show notes Dan's information so that you can contact him if you want to. I'll put the papers that he mentioned and also the link to this uh, to this program. Awesome, thanks. Uh, well, Dan, thank you so much for uh, this interview. I had so much fun. Yeah, uh, really appreciate you uh, telling our listeners about your experience mapping. Yeah, thanks, Vitor. Thanks for uh, welcoming me on the show. Oh man, that was fun. In the next episode, I'm chatting with a real-life volcanologist. How cool is that? I'll see you then. This podcast is brought to you by the Geology Podcast Network. The GPN is sponsored by Traveling Geologist. Follow Traveling Geologist on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. More episodes of this and other GPN podcasts are available at travelinggeologist.com or wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Spotify.